This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today will be a special show in that segments two and three will both be devoted to the same interview. We'll be talking with author Gwyneth Cravens later in the program about her provocative book, Power to Save the World, The Truth About Nuclear Energy. Gwyneth Cravens is an environmental writer, but she is not, not opposed to nuclear power. Whether you are or are not, we expect that you will find uh, the second and third segments today to be provocative and worth listening to. So stay tuned for that. And before we proceed too far, we'd like to note that perhaps you heard about this yesterday um, on NPR or read about it in the Sacramento Bee or the San Francisco Chronicle or online. But a study by two nonprofit organizations, two journalistic nonprofit organizations, found that President Bush and other top administrative officials issued hundreds of false statements about the national security threat from Iraq in the two years following the 2001 terrorist attacks. Yesterday on, on NPR's Morning Edition, Steve Inskey interviewed Charles Lewis from the Center for Public Integrity, one of those two groups. We had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. Lewis about his book, The Buying of the President 2004, a couple of years back, and we look very forward to bringing him back on the program again to talk about this study. We look forward to that in the weeks to come. And let us commence the show as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is January 24th. It was exactly 160 years ago today, January 24th, 1848, that a millwright named James Marshall discovered gold along the banks of the American River here in Northern California. Nine days later, Mexico ceded California to the U.S., and the gold rush was soon on. On this date in 1943, during World War II, German General Friedrich von Paulus, commander of the German 6th Army at Stalingrad, urgently requested permission from Adolf Hitler to surrender his positions there. But Hitler refused. Paulus then surrendered a week later, having lost more than half of his 280,000 men. The Red Army's defeat of the Nazis at Stalingrad was undoubtedly the turning point in World War II. And speaking of that conflict, on this date in 1972, 28 years after World War II, farmers in Guam discovered Sochi Yokoi, a Japanese sergeant who had spent the better part of three decades in hiding, unaware that World War II had ended. Sergeant Yokoi returned to Japan a national hero. He soon married and, and for his honeymoon, went to Guam, which is a place by now he knew pretty well. And finally, on this date, January 24th of 1986, the Voyager 2 spacecraft flew past Uranus at close range, discovering new moons and sending close-up pictures back to Pasadena, California. Voyager 2, by the way, is still functioning out at the very end of the solar system, and we very much hope in the weeks to come to bring you the, uh, the director of that operation, Dr. Ed Stone from Pasadena's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. We uh, think he'd be a heck of a good guest. Our quote of the day comes from Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrated this week. He once noted that those who are not looking for happiness are the most likely to find it. 
Because those who are searching forget the surest way to be happy is to seek happiness for others. And I'm somewhat sorry to balance that off, but I think we have to with the following quote from Mike Huckabee because A, he said it, and B, he's a serious contender for the Republican presidential nomination. Said Mike Huckabee, I believe it's a lot easier to change the Constitution than it would be to change the word of the living God. And that's what we need to do, is amend the Constitution so it's in God's standards rather than trying to change God's standards so it lines up with some contemporary view of how we treat each other and how we treat the family. So do you, uh, do you trust Mike Huckabee to do what he can to amend the Constitution so it's more in keeping with what he interprets to be the word of the living God? Anyway, no doubt numerous of you out there are Republicans. Don't, don't forget to vote on February 5th. Our quip of the day comes from the immortal H.L. Mencken, who once said, A judge is a law student who marks his own papers. Our statistic of the day is as follows. According to the BBCnews.com, for the first time since the 19th century, the average British citizen will have a higher income in 2008 than the average American. Research from Oxford Economics says the average Briton will earn $46,700 compared to $46,200 per American. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week recently for Thor after an Utah inmate sued for the right to practice the Asatru religion behind bars. To observe this Norse religion properly, Michael Polk says, he needs a mead horn used for drinking, wassail, which is a drum made out of wood and boar skin, a rune staff, and a reasonable facsimile of Thor's hammer. No uh, word yet on whether the penal authorities in Utah are going to comply with his request. It was noted to be a bad week uh, a couple weeks back, conversely, for cabin fever, with the news that the holiday festivities among U.S. scientists and staff at isolated research stations in Antarctica got a little out of hand. Evidently, a Santa Claus groped female scientists a drunken staffer went on a wild joyride on a four-wheel drive vehicle, and two workers filled with holiday cheer had a punch-out, resulting in a broken jaw. I don't know. Sometimes when you go six months without seeing the sun, uh, things happen to you. And uh, last week was an ugly week for California beach safety, when the Navy said that an explosive device that malfunctioned during a training exercise is missing in the ocean near the Hotel del Coronado in San Diego. The device is a time-delayed demolition charge used to blow up enemy mines. The Navy said the last time they saw it, it was attached to a fake mine in the explosives drill 300 yards off the coast. Evidently, the primary charge exploded as intended, but did not trigger a complete detonation. Now, officials have noted that it would take great pressure and an ignition source to explode the device, but they say that anyone who comes across it on the beach is asked to leave it alone and call 911. Oh. 
right, from the Only in America file, we have the following item. Evidently, an inmate who injured himself breaking out of a Colorado jail is now suing on the grounds that guards should have done more to stop him escaping. Scott Gomez Jr. claims he was badly injured when he fell 40 feet while attempting to scale down the outside wall of the Pueblo County Jail. Prison authorities, Gomez says, did next to nothing to ensure that the jail was secure and that the plaintiff could not escape. The sad thing is, folks, this is America. He might get money. Now, we're very excited about the fact that NASA's Messenger satellite got within 120 miles of the surface of the planet Mercury last week, marking the first time since 1975 that a space mission has visited the planet. We're going to see if we can't talk to some of our friends down at uh, the Planetary Society. Perhaps we'll get to Matt Kaplan from Planetary Radio, normally heard on KUCI, to come back and talk to us about this. And we also have our sights set on the Planetary Society's head, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a very uh, witty and uh, an intelligent fellow that um, has written a book called Death by Black Hole. So we expect to get him on uh, sometime in February. Oh, and speaking of guests, uh, last week's guest, Seth Shulman, well, his, uh, his uh, book, The Telephone Gambit, uh, uh, was reviewed in the Week magazine this week as their book of the week. If, uh, if you two are contemplating uh, reading the book and you missed our interview last week, by all means, check it out on our archives at radioparallax.com. This might be a good time to hear from our old pal, America's foremost political comic, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today, I want to talk about the Democrats and how exciting it is to have them back at each other's throats, eating their young again. I'm sure they were able to throttle their self-destructive tendencies and maintain the flimsiest facade of being semi-civilized there for a while, what with the whole winning of Congress thing a couple of years ago. But then, just when you thought they might have shed their propensity to commit ritual seppuku in public, two of their presidential candidates dug deep into the communal party storage shed, pulled out the circular firing squad machine from under the paisley quilted poncho, and began shooting each other's knees off at the very first sight of a blinking red camera light. Yes, I'm talking about the gurgle in Myrtle, that televised debate, or more accurately, slap fight, that preceded this weekend's South Carolina primary. The main event was a slam-bang affair with the gloves taken off and swinging roundhouses aided by brass knuckles and clenched rolls of Sacagawea dollars. First, you have Hillary Clinton accuse Barack Obama of saying nice things about Ronald Reagan, which is the worst sin anyone in the Democratic Party can commit, because they will never forgive Uncle Ron for beating St. Jimmy, thereby plunging the Democratic Party into 12 years of wandering in the wilderness. So in response, a senator from Illinois accused Hillary of serving on the corporate board of Walmart, which for a liberal is like getting sprayed with a fine patina of evil anti-union juice. And all this was done on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. <laughs> you know, the guy with the big non-violence agenda. The hell are they going to do on Gandhi's birthday? Beat each other into submission with clubs made out of raw beef? Stay tuned. I wouldn't put it past them. For Radio Parallax... I'm Will Durst. 
Anyway, speaking of the horse race uh, for the presidency, Fred Thompson bowed out, having failed to become the darling of the Christian right. Mike Huckabee seems to be their man, although it was odd that Pat Robertson actually endorsed Rudy Giuliani some weeks back. Tuesday marked the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. In fact, the 35th anniversary came on Tuesday. And on the Republican side, you're hard-pressed to find anybody who is pro-choice. Even libertarian Ron Paul is ethically opposed uh, to abortion. Uh, Giuliani, well, he said in the May 2007 debate, he believed in a woman's right to choose abortion, but it would be okay to repeal Roe v. Wade. In fact, like other Republican candidates, Giuliani said he would nominate justices like Antonin Scalia and Clarence Thomas, both of whom have condemned the 1973 ruling. Of course, there's a bit of a redundancy in that statement since uh, Clarence Thomas seems to do uh, whatever Antonin Scalia does. Anyway, it'll be very curious to see what uh, happens here in California, and and we might for once actually uh, influence uh, the ebb and flow of events in the party primaries. Of course, if you're like me and you registered declined to state, the Republicans are not going to let you vote, but the Democrats will. We're not going to talk all that much about the election on next week's show, but we are going to talk a little bit about it, so figure that at least one segment next week will be our, uh, our biannual pre-election program. We've also got to talk in the weeks to come about this FCC auction that's taking place. Actually, it was supposed to start today. We're not following it very closely. We will have to return to the topic. The FCC is uh, auctioning off the 700 megahertz spectrum of frequencies now being used by UHF TV stations. We have some DJs and folks here at the KDVS that are very knowledgeable about this topic, and we're going to try and speak with them. We also plan to go on back to a KUCI, our sister station down in Irvine, uh, to talk about the passing of Phil Agee. Phil Agee was an ex-CIA agent who wrote a book uh, outing much of the uh, agency's activity and naming some names. And speaking of the Central Intelligence Agency, you may have noted that they have, not, they have backed up the Pakistan government's claim that uh, those responsible for killing um, Benazir Bhutto, Al-Qaeda. And I thought I'd take a moment to quote from uh, the Islamabad Daily Times which noted in an editorial that Pakistanis still don't know what to believe about the assassination of Benazir Bhutto. The paper asked, Did the regime of Pervez Musharraf, desperate to cling to power, play a role? Mere hours after Bhutto was murdered last month at a political rally, the Musharraf regime came out with its official story, or rather, stories. Tripping over itself to establish al-Qaeda as the culprit, the government first said that shrapnel from a suicide bomb killed Bhutto. It claimed it intercepted a phone call from a Pakistan Talibani chieftain claiming responsibility. That theory, of course, was discredited when an amateur video emerged showing a gunman firing and hitting Bhutto. Since Islamicists don't use snipers in attacks, but rather martyrs, the government changed its story, claiming that Bhutto, who was standing up through the sunroof of her armored car, had banged her head on the lever and died of the resulting skull wound. Pervez Musharraf uh, said in relation to this, in a rather interesting theory, to American television, for standing up outside the car, I think it was she to blame alone. Responsibility is hers. Would like to note some good reporting done by the McClatchy newspapers, Saeed Shah and Jonathan S. Landay. Article that was published on January 11th noted that, that the crowd that stopped Budo's car was a rather mysterious one. 
A Rawalpindi police officer told newspapers that I don't know who they were or where they came from, referring to the crowd. They just appeared on the road. And a government report, which we don't have time to go into in much detail at this point, uh, had some curious findings, noting that a top agency found that a pistol made by Norinco, a Chinese brand, was recovered from the scene, and that an MUV-2 triggering mechanism for the bomb also was found, as had been used in 15 previous suicide bombings in Pakistan with the same lot number and factory code. Concluded the report, it's a clear indicator that the same terrorist group is involved in almost all these incidents. We will continue to follow this story as it evolves. And from that part of the world, we also have to take a look at uh, this item about uh, an Indian uh, industrialist who claims he's going to build a car for $2,500. Mass-producing $2,500 cars uh, for the Republic of India, uh, well, I think the state needs it like it needs a hole in the head. But that, too, is a topic for another day. Let's take a short break and come back with environmentalist author Gwyneth Cravens to talk about uh, her take on nuclear power. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.